passage today is Romans 12, 6 to 8. But I'm going to read the whole uh, chapter up to that point. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Hello everyone, good afternoon. Um, like Stephen said, my name is Nemi, if I've ever met before. Um, but before we get into the word, let us pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here this afternoon. I pray that as we get into the word, you would reveal your heart. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move on hearts, on minds, and on bodies this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this afternoon, I'd like to speak to you about artificial intelligence and how it will impact our future. I, th I thought you might fancy something a bit light-hearted um, this afternoon. Well, actually, earlier this week, I was playing on something called ChatGPT. Has anyone heard about that? ChatGPT? Yeah? Good, good, good. So, for those that don't know, I need to get this right. ChatGPT is a conversational chat robot, or as techies like to call it, chatbot, that is taking the world by storm. It's free, and I've been using it since December to write tricky emails. I particularly find writing emails to people, people that work for church quite hard, because I never, I, never, I never find the balance between formal and informal and blessings and how to sound all, like, I just struggle with that. So, if you received an email from me and you work for the church, I'm sorry it has been written by a chatbot. Um, I also use it to write some Christmas cards. If my Christmas card it was extra witty, a robot wrote that. And I use it to write a devotional plan and a fitness plan. It's some really cool stuff. So earlier this week, I was with our very own Simon Ponsonby. We're in his office and we got the laptop out. And I told him about this. He said, okay, let's, let's test it. So we had it write a sermon on John 3.16. And off it went. And it came out with this good sermon. I said, Simon, what do you think? He said, it's really good, it's really solid, theologically sound. So we thought, let's take it a step further. We told it, rewrite the sermon in the style of Simon Ponsonby, and then the Wi-Fi went out. But when the Wi-Fi wi got back, I, I you know, sensed this, this request, and it came back with this sermon that was really stunning. It's, it sounded like Simon, he threw in all the words that he uses, his cadence, his style was all in there. All that was missing was a West Country twang and a leather waistcoat. <laughs> but actually, as I reread it, I thought, you know what? This is good, this is solid, 
but it's not Simon. It was missing his essence. It was missing something. So I've been in several conversations recently about the future of AI. I know so many people are concerned, but I'm quite excited because I believe it's going to get rid of mundane tasks. And AI is going to add more, more value to our uniqueness and to the giftings that God has put in us. And AI may simplify tasks, but I believe it will never replace the unique giftings that God has given us because his gifts to us are aligned with our purpose. So actually, this is what I'll be talking about this morning, not artificial intelligence. You see, the combination of your purpose and lived experiences shapes the way these gifts God has given to you find expression in you in a way that not even the smartest technology, artificial intelligence, or anyone can replace. So I'll be continuing from Romans 12, 6 to 8. Um, this is where Paul tells the church in Rome about the gifts that God has given them. He started by telling them, do not conform to the, you know, to the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Simon laid a beautiful foundation. If you missed it, you can find this talk on YouTube or on our website. But going through the New Testament, we see this pattern of Paul writing letters to, quote-unquote, big churches and encouraging them to use their gifts. He also focused on spiritual gifts to the church in Corinth and the church in Ephesus. But, the, but to the church in Rome, he talked about charismatic, practical, logical, as well as spiritual gifts. He starts by saying, we have different gifts according to the grace given us, which means his gifts to us are free, they are merited, God has no favorites, he doesn't love this one more than you, so he gives them more. No, he loves us all the same. And his gifts come from a place of love and purpose. And they're connected to what you're supposed to do and your destiny. You see, in verse 7, we see Paul list gifts like prophecy, generosity, serving, teaching, showing mercy, giving encouragement together. He did not prioritize the spiritual gifts over the logical or the practical gifts. And I think this shows us that we're not meant to focus on these gifts in particular that he listed, but on the range and the spectrum, almost saying that actually the gifts that God has put in you, no matter whether they fit in the, you know, the four walls of the church or outside, they're still special and they're still important to God, the body, and the kingdom. So I've got a few points that I'd like to focus on this afternoon. The first point is that our true purpose is to reflect a facet of God. From the Genesis account of creation, we see God reveal this intention of making man in his image, and he did that. He has gifted us with facets of himself, and our true purpose is to reflect this facet of himself he's putting to us to the world. I believe that when we're in full operation of our giftings, people will see God shine through you. People will experience the facet of God he's putting you through you. And this will bring a level of satisfaction that nothing in the world will give you. I did an extensive review of my year. There's this thing that went around called Life's Compass. It's like 20-odd pages. So off I went and I wrote. And I did a review of 2022. And I actually realized that the things that brought the most fulfillment and joy were times when I was using my gifts to bless people. And a lot of times it was on a very small scale. It was on the one-to-one -one conversation. It was in that act of 
painful generosity, just stretching myself above my comfort zone or sacrificing my time and giving it to people, using my natural gifts to bless people. I found those were the moments where I felt the most fulfilled reviewing the year. I used to think that um, only people with spiritual gifts or those that were active in the church, like the holy rollers, truly reflected and represented God. As someone that grew up in Nigeria, I felt like the Africans that could pray, the ones that could shamamama, you know, like hang on the altars and pray through the night were the, were the good ones, were the ones that reflected God. But actually, as I've grown, I've realized that God is reflected in us through the spiritual, the prophetic, the healing, the anointing, as well as the, you know, the natural giftings like leadership and teaching and generosity and kindness and encouragement. Some people are really gifted in giving encouraging words to just lift your spirit. God is glorified in that. And when you do that, people see God through you. These gifts are meant, they're not meant for you. The gifts God has put in you are meant for others. I like to steal uh, Simon's quote. You are meant to gift your gift. And it doesn't just belong in the four walls of the church. It belongs at your uni, at work, in your sphere of influence. God wants you to allow what is putting you to shine through you and reflect him to the world around. So how do you find this gift I'm talking about. Well, the Bible says in Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone. And in the original language, the alone there could also be translated as in isolation or separated. There is something about conforming to this world that just ends up, just gets you to this place of isolation. We are inherently made for community. Our giftings exist for the benefit of others. And these giftings are usually honed when we are in community. So if you're in the room today and you're not sure what your gifting is, I would like to encourage you or urge you to spend time in community, join a small group. And I bet that if you join one and you're willing to serve and be open, sooner or later, these giftings will be called, pulled out of you. You'll be provoked to do something. And you know and discover what God has put in you. For the longest time, I was against joining small groups. In my time, they used to call it pastorate. And to be on the worship team, you had to sign this contract. And I would dodge and avoid it because I just did not want to join the small group. I'm a bit of an introvert. I love my solitude. And I just felt like uh, people, Christians, it was just not my vibe. And I just did not want people in my business. And then I met my lovely husband and he encouraged me to come to this small group. I'm like, no. And after like wearing me down, I went and we sat in the car. We parked in front of this place, sat in the car and he, he gave me this pep talk. He said, okay, you're gonna be okay. They're not gonna bite. If you don't like it, we can leave. They're nice people. I'm like, okay, okay, I can do this. So I went in and actually it was really good. They were wonderful people. The food was good. It was wonderful. And before I knew it, a few weeks later, there I was, oversharing, telling people my business, and I would regret it every week. On the way back, I'm like, Matt, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And it was such a wonderful place. So many people in the room were in that small group, and they have shaped my life. They made an incredible impact on my life. This business um, that Stephen just said, oh, let me run the business, was I got a word of prophecy in that 
in that small group. They prophesied that I was going to preach one day. It's quiet, shy, and everyone was going to preach one day. They encouraged me to run Bible studies, and they brought out these giftings. They pulled these giftings out of me. So again, I encourage you, if you're not in one, we have so much information on the church website. You can just, you'll find your tribe, find the one that suits your personality. So um, another question is, so you know these gifts. How do you know if the gift you have in you is what you're meant to give to the world. For starters, you have to be good at it. It has to be drawn out of you, and it has to bless people. You see, when I was around five or six years old, I thought my gift to the world was dance. Not just any type of dance, but African cultural dance. I was so excited, and there was this African cultural dance recital that I was desperate to be a part of. So. Off I went to all rehearsals and I practiced at home. I still remember all the dance moves and the songs, everything till this day. On the final dress rehearsal, I realized that the uniform, which was a piece of Ankara fabric you tie on your waist and on your chest, mine was different from everyone else's and I thought, oh, maybe they ran out. I now know that no one had the heart to tell me that I was in fact absolutely awful and they just thought that, oh, she would give up. I didn't. D-Day came and I made it to the stage, dancing my little heart out. I let my little heart out. I later found out that when everyone went left, I went right. When everyone went forward, I went back. It was awful. My mom sat in the audience absolutely embarrassed and horrified. So she sent my older sister to get up and drag me off stage. So my sister went to the side of the stage and she said, you know, try, trying to call me off. And I'm like, no, I'm focused, I'm dancing. So she jumped on stage and physically dragged me out, which I screamed, no, leave me alone, I wanna dance, I wanna dance. Anyways, that day I realized that my dancing did not bless anybody. It actually um, brought shame and disgrace to my family. So the moral of the story is that whatever you think you give to, you have to be good at it. And it will be called out of you by the needs of the people around you. Another thing I want to say on that is not to despise small beginnings. God tends to give us these gifts in seed form, and you have to invest in it and grow it. Most times you'll be blessing one person at a time. Perhaps you feel like you have this gift, but God is you know, calling you to that small place. To, to maybe you want to lead worship, but they say, no, do it in a small group, in a small Bible study, or in the prayer room. In the eyes of God, using your gift with one person is as important as a thousand people. It makes no difference to him. As long as people are seeing you reflect him, he receives the glory and he's pleased. Like I was saying earlier, if you have the gift of singing, you may not start with leading worship at church. God may lead you, like I said, to the prayer room or in a Bible study or a small group. Your gifts are like muscles. You have to use them for them to grow stronger. And if you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Which takes me to my next thing. If you don't use it, you lose it. Matthew's account of the parable of the talent tells a really sobering story of a master giving his servants talents. There were three servants. He gave one, was it five? Gave the other three and gave one one. The first to use theirs and invested theirs and the last one, he didn't. When he gave his explanation at the end, you could see lots of fear and selfishness in his explanation. What did he do with his talent? He buried it. My question for you this afternoon is, do you have talents or gifts that you're burying? Because you feel, you know what, it's too small, it's too insignificant, or perhaps you're shy, timid. 
or you have low self-esteem. Last week, both Simon and Mark spoke about low self-esteem and shyness being a reverse form of pride. Just something to think about. Your gifts are not for you. They are for the people around you. And by burying them, you're depriving people of the wonderful things God has given you to bless them. I love this quote from Simon. You are meant to gift your gifts. I repeat, you are meant to gift your gift. As a body of Christ, we need to be healthy. So we need all parts, fully functional and operating in their gifts. My final point for today is the battle for your gift. When we look at this chapter holistically, we see that it's a letter Paul writes to a church in a prominent city, which reminds me of Oxford. And I believe if Paul was alive today, we will be getting a letter or maybe an email, something along the lines of, to the saints which are at Oxford, grace and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I was thinking, you know what? If Paul actually sent us his letter or email, what would he say to us as a church in Oxford? Number one, I think he'll probably tell us, like the church in Rome, not to conform to the world and the culture around us. I believe he would tell us to allow the word of God to transform our minds and shape our worldview. I believe Paul would encourage us to use our God-given gifts. He would encourage us to love one another and encourage us to stand firm in the face of turbulence and affliction. In verse 7, Paul starts by saying, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy, or lead diligently, which sounds really straightforward. But when you grow in your gift, you will most likely, actually not most likely, you will encounter opposition. Stepping out in confidence in the area of your gifting will be contested by an enemy who will seek to undermine you and he will do all sorts to make you throw in the towel and bury your giftings. Later in Romans 12, Paul tells them, be patient in affliction, serve with zeal, lead with spiritual fervor and be faithful in prayer because he knows probably from experience that the enemy attacks you in the area of your gifting. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And when the enemy attacks this gift, he's very strategic. Now I bet there are people in the room who once felt they had a gift of, say, prophecy, but they have been silenced by life's afflictions. It is time for the prophets to come out of hiding. The church needs you, the saints needs you, and God needs you. I know you've been hurt, but God heals. Or perhaps you have a heart of generosity and you love to give, but you're having financial difficulties. God can heal and can restore. Or perhaps you've been called to lead, but you're struggling with people and you're getting fed up and angry and short-tempered. God can restore and can heal. Or you're called to show mercy and you're very kind and empathetic, and over time, people have taken advantage of you. God can heal and can restore. Or maybe you are an encourager, you have an encouraging spirit, 
but life has made you so cynical and discouraged that now you use your words to criticize instead of build people up. God can heal and can restore. Whatever your gifting is and whatever the enemy has done to break your spirit, God can heal and can restore. Whatever your gift is, it will be contested. Now, I almost didn't make it here today. Um, I have had the most horrendous few weeks that was orchestrated by the pit of hell, seriously. Then this week, I experienced what I like to call the pile-up technique, where the devil sort of compounds, like compounding interest, right? He adds and adds and adds. And for the first few things, few issues, I'm like, do you know what? I can handle it. I'm a millennial. I have supplements. So I took some ginseng and ashwagandha, you know, just like keep cool and carry on. Um, but by Friday, I was done. I broke down. I felt like I could not carry all of these burdens, show up on a Sunday morning, stand up here and preach. I said, God, no, I can't do it. This, this is too much. It's beyond me. And while I was there crying after calling my husband, you know, throwing a big tantrum, I heard a small voice in my heart whisper, Nemi, this is your talk. And I knew exactly what it meant. A few hours later, all the chaos and the confusion around me sort of calmed down. Now, I know a lot of people in the room today have fought so many battles and are fighting so many battles. And they go through so much to show up every Sunday morning. And sometimes if the enemy is not attacking your gifts directly, he's creating the sense of confusion and chaos around you. I just wanted you to know this today. The contestation and the opposition is not personal. It is about what you carry and the impact it will have on people around you. Like I said earlier, a lot of people are carrying wounds today due to an attack on their gift. I just want to say, do not be discouraged. I believe God wants to bring healing today and he wants to re-empower you, re-anoint you, repurpose you by the Holy Spirit. Yesterday, a bunch of us gathered in the catacombs in our prayer room as part of the 24-7 prayer, and we had an incredible time, and God spoke, and we worshiped, and we prayed, and some things arose from that time. And I just want to share some words that came, which was God is calling back the Simeons and the Annas. He's calling back the older generation of Christians that had this sense of purpose, but have just left it, I've retired in the spirit. God is saying, no, I want you to be like Simeon and Anna that will stand firm in prayer till they see the manifestation of the word of God for their time. I felt like God was calling back the Caleb's, which at 85 years old was still standing in faith and slaying giants and taking mountains. I felt like God was calling the young Samuel, but it was also calling Eli that would teach the young, younger generation how to discern and obey the voice of God. I feel like God is calling mothers back that will stand in the gap and intercede for the future of their kids in this time. And I also believe that God is calling the prophets back that are being silenced. Or the intercessors that, you know, once upon a time could just stay in that place of prayer and intercede for the nation, intercede for people around them, but they've been hit by disappointment and are now weary. I believe that God is calling you back if you have a gift and you've put it on the shelf. He wants you to come back in. I was reminded of Jeremy Hunt. 
you know, calling people that have retired or people that have not been back at work since COVID. And I felt the Holy Spirit was saying that to everyone in the body. You have a gift. You know you have a gift, but you're not fully operational in it. God is calling you back. And for everyone that is hanging on by a thread because of the contestation on your gift, I believe the Holy Spirit is here and he wants to heal, restore, and empower you. And I just feel like God wants you to take these words of Paul to heart. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And be faithful in prayer. And finally, I would like to end with this scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.